Welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Heisenberg. That was very dramatic. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. All right. What is it? What are you, William Shatner? This week, Scott has shown me a movie. And uh, we did this particular movie for a particular reason. Because there's a sequel of it coming out. Indeed, and my wife, not only did she watch the movie, okay, well, decided to stay up all night and watch the next three of these movies. I, yeah, I've pr- we're going to talk about it. So, uh, Scott, what are we watching? We watched Mission Impossible. Yay! Released in 1996. Based off the TV show. Yes. Um, apparently there is a new sequel entitled Dead Reckoning Part 1 coming out in a couple of days. So we figured, why not dive down this rabbit hole? I've never seen... Well, I saw one of the Mission Impossible movies on a date once years ago, but I don't really remember it because it was like the fourth in the franchise and I didn't care. I was like, I, d- I don't know anything about these movies. But hey... So there's a guy climbing a wall and shit and t- 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 stunts and things. Cool. Yeah, I think I've seen the first four. Well, now I have also seen all of the first four. So, yeah, we're, we're going to do the first movie today. That's going to be the general idea of this episode. However, after we watched the movie last night, um, I had some coffee because I'm not the smartest and I have coffee sometimes, but it's too late at night and then I'm stuck up for a lot of the night. So I decided, fuck it, I'm going to just watch <laughs> two and three as well in the dead of night while my husband lays slumbering beside me. And then I was like, hmm, maybe I should rewatch Ghost Protocol as well just to see if I remember it. And I did some parts, but I watched that too. My my wife watched part two. I watched Cocaine Bear. Yeah. Mission Impossible 2 is really bad, by the way. But that's not what we're talking about. And I'm guessing Cocaine Bear is bad as well. It's a B-movie. But, you know, it's fine. Whatever. The point is, <laughs> we're here. And we're talking about Mission Impossible numero uno. So, Scott, what is your experience with this movie before we rewatched last night? I watched it a long time ago. And the thing about these first four movies, I've seen all of them around and about, but they all kind of ran together in my head. There's only a few scenes I could be like, oh, is that the one with this one? Mm-hmm. Oh, is that the one with this one? Like I, the scene where Tom Cruise is hanging from the string. Right, that's probably the most iconic thing in the whole franchise i would imagine yeah pretty much i remembered that this one i actually probably remembered the most out of all of them Mm -hmm. well it's strange that they all kind of run together for you i mean maybe because i watched them back to back to back i i remember more details personally of all four but it's also interesting that they run together for you because they're all directed by very distinct and different directors that's true, but they're all Tom Cruise. Right. No, fair. But I would say that the Tom Cruise that's in the first Mission Impossible is very different style-wise, maybe not character-wise, but very different style-wise to the Tom Cruise in, let's say, Ghost Protocol, and I would assume beyond. 
Because after the first four, the rest of the movies are directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Those I haven't seen at all. So there's going to be eight total. This is the first one, of course. This one was directed by Brian De Palma. The second one was John Woo, which, I mean, could not have been more obvious. Same thing with Brian De Palma, honestly. There's some definite calling cards to these iconic directors that took on these first four movies that is very present. And you can kind of see all four of their distinct styles. I kept thinking while I was watching this movie because we have done a review on the movie Snake Eyes. Yes, who was also Brian De Palma. And these two movies feel a lot more alike than yes. I think they should. <laughs> well, and they are in a lot of ways. I mean, Snake Eyes came two years after this, and um, they're, they're not obviously exactly the same, but there are definite similarities. I mean, there's a hell of a lot of Dutch angles, and there's a twist villain. However, I believe in Snake Eyes, it's given away pretty early in the game, at least in this movie. John Voight isn't revealed as the twist villain until maybe like three quarters of the way into the movie. However, I was spoiled on that when I was doing research. Although I feel like it's not that much of a spoiler when you talk about John Voight being in your movie. It's like it's very rare that he's just a pure good guy he's in either, a movie. He's either the old father or the bad guy. Right. Or both. <laughs> in this one, he's kind of both because he really acts as like Ethan Hunt's father figure. Indeed. And then he turns out to be evil. But yeah, I think this movie is very interesting because I feel like it's set a tone for the franchise that is, yes, an action movie and a typical action movie in a lot of ways. But also I feel like, and maybe this is because it's Brian De Palma directing, there did seem to be sort of a more gritty, sort of grounded feel in reality despite some like silly things happening but even when silly things were happening they didn't feel as silly because of the direction and just the general vibe of this movie I feel like and now I feel like Mission Impossible has just become this like overblown like action stunt fest which isn't necessarily a bad thing but the franchise seems to have definitely evolved over the years I think this series especially this one I think it came out the year after GoldenEye. I think Hollywood was looking for an American equivalent to GoldenEye and to the James Bond franchise. Right. That makes sense. And I think they were like, oh, Mission Impossible. It was already a TV series that was kind of successful. Let's just make it a movie. Yeah, it definitely was successful. And I mean, obviously based on its longevity as a franchise... However, they are saying that it's going to end after this two-parter, which I would assume is correct because Tom Cruise, despite the fact that he looks like he hasn't aged very much in the past couple decades, he is getting a little older and, uh, you know, we don't want to overstay our welcome <laughs> Fast and the Furious. <laughs> we, we don't want to stay where we're not wanted. But uh, just kicking off our preliminary fun facts as we said this movie was directed by brian de palma this is our third brian de palma review on this show we of course reviewed snake eyes as we said but we also reviewed carrie which was 20 years before this movie but apparently at the time de palma said that he really needed a commercial hit and this ended up being one of his highest grossing films um, it was actually the third highest grossing film of 1996 behind Independence Day and Twister, which is also getting a sequel. Why? 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 
Actually, Independence Day also got a sequel. Why? I don't know. I don't know. At least Independence Day <laughs> made sense to have a sequel. Did it? I did, th- what more did we really need to say? I, we didn't need to say anything, but at least if I put those two movies together, if I put Independence Day and Twister together, I can at least be like, oh, Aliens Come Back for Revenge. Makes sense. I can do a sequel there. Twisters? What? Are the tornadoes going to be like the Jaws from Jaws 3D? Are they coming for no, Revenge? No, they're going to be Sharknado. God. They're going to be like the Sharknadoes from Sharknado and just become more ridiculous until no one cares about them anymore. No one cares about Twister. The first Mission Impossible film... Despite the fact that it has kind of eh reviews, it's got a critic score of 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. Audience score is a little higher, but the budget was $80 million and the movie made a whopping $457 million. So uh, that worked out. Probably the reason for the lower score, like the middle middling score, let's call it middling. The movie is on face value very convoluted yeah it is i i found myself getting confused a couple times and needing like explainers from scott and maybe a quick wiki search here and there just to like make sure i knew what was going on but funnily enough there are quite a few comments on the script of this movie which uh speaking of which it was written by david kep and robert town who have worked with both de palma and with tom cruise before several times so that makes sense. And I, I wouldn't say the script is horrible, but let's put it this way. Reportedly, the script was originally written by William Huck and Gloria Katz. Oh, God, not them again. <laughs> and uh, Kep and Town were brought in later to rewrite it because there were problems with, quote unquote, the dialogue and story development. If you don't know who Gloria Katz and William Hook are they are the geniuses that wrote Howard the Duck, which we also reviewed on the show. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. That's it. No more Mr. Nice Duck. The thing about spy movies, too, is I feel like spy movies have a tendency to get overcomplicated when they don't need to get as overly complicated as they do. Yeah. Because we watched a, a movie that I still can't believe has such a high rating in Atomic Blonde. It's a decently fun movie. It was fine, yeah. I remember seeing that in the theater. But the end of the movie got so like, oh, this twist, 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 twist. I think there's four twists at the end. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And that's a thing. I, don't, I barely remember the plot. Honestly. Uh, But that's the thing about spy movies is they can be like, oh, we need to have this twist upon this twist. These people are portraying these people. And you're like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down. (laughs) No, I I completely agree with you. I'll say in my venture down the rabbit hole of Mission Impossible last night, and mind you, I've only watched the first four. So as far as the later movies, I don't really have an opinion as of yet. But I will say that the two faves for me were this one and Mission Impossible 3. Mission Impossible 3 was directed by J.J. Abrams. And 3 has kind of a lot of staples of Abrams as well, which is kind of like... Lens flares? Huh? Lens flares? Were there lens flares? I don't know. It might have been my own brain trying to like... (laughs) shock myself into staying I was like delusional but if yeah sure I mean probably but what I was gonna say is J.J. Abrams generally speaking 
will go emotion over logic a lot of the time. He's he's good with action as well, but in three, I feel like the story was more digestible. It was simpler to understand without a lot of kind of minutia and almost like little details that were easy to get tripped up on that were in this movie. Like I said, I found myself having to keep asking a few times, like, wait, what's going on? What are we doing now? What are we trying to get? Like, I didn't really have to do that in three, but that's because there was like a heart and core to that with Ethan's relationship with his wife that kind of pushed you through. And also Philip Seymour Hoffman, rest in peace, was like a dope ass villain in that movie. But I digress. Just continuing on with our little preliminary fun facts, the movie, like we said, is based on a television series created by Bruce Geller in the 60s and 70s, and then I think it had a revival in the 80s. Martin Landau was actually the star of the show, and reportedly he really disliked this film very much, and uh, he said it didn't resemble the show at all and was just like a regular action movie with Mission Impossible's name slapped on it. And the script was bad, <laughs> and he was offered a cameo role in the film and didn't want to. Which, like, I can understand that. I mean, th- we've heard of that kind of thing all the time where, you know, you take something and it's supposedly based on this property, but, like, really it's just very, 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 very loosely based on it. Resident Evil. Right, oh. stuff like that. But I will say what they did take from the show that everyone remembers and loves is the theme song. Oh, yeah. Which was Grammy-nominated and, of course, performed by the drummer and bassist from U2. And the rest of the score for the movie is composed by Danny Elfman, who, of course, is iconic. Beetlejuice, Batman, Mars Attacks, Nightmare Before Christmas, the, you know, the list goes on. So there definitely are some iconic things about this movie, and I'm actually pretty excited to talk about it because even though it wasn't my favorite movie you've ever done on the show, it definitely captured me enough that I stayed up literally most of the night watching these fucking movies. She did. (laughs) Now I feel like an expert, but also I feel like I am high as a kite because I (laughs) have not gotten a lot of sleep, but I'm still excited. Okay. Plus the coffee. (laughs) Yeah, we we need coffee. (laughs) This drink, I like it. I know, it's great, right? Another! That fixes everything. Caffeine! Scott, are you ready to get into the nitty and the gritty now? Yeah, let's dive right in. And we start in Kiev. I think it's Kiev. Kiev. (laughs) K-I-E-V. That spells Kiev. (laughs) And we have some undercover mission where Tom Cruise is... Wearing a mask to get information out of a guy. The masks look ridiculous. You know what this reminds me of? It looks like the same animation in the Scooby-Doo movie where they pull off a mask. Oh, yeah. When he actually pulls it off. Yeah, it's all like CGI. It it comes off very Scooby-Doo movie. You're right. Like very much just like the cartoon, really. Like how... Oh, it's Ms. Old Man Jenkins from the from the amusement park. Like, that's what it looks like. Oh, it's Old Man Scientology. What? Oh, sorry. What? So Tom Cruise gets information here, and we immediately, as we said, cut to the theme song, which is great. It pumps you up. It's iconic. It really does pump you up. That's, yeah. And that's, like, the purpose of something like this. I think the Mission Impossible theme will outlive these movies, no matter how many. I think uh, so, yeah. I think even if you don't ever watch the movies, you know the Mission Impossible theme. <laughs> Thank you. 
we cut to John Voigt. Plays Jim. How intimidating. Jim. Yeah, so this is like in a pretty interesting sweet spot in his career. This is right between Heat and Anaconda, of all things. Oh, boy. Oh, Anaconda. How we tolerate you. Anyway... Uh, when people talk about his performance in Anaconda and like say like it's genuinely a good performance and like no I really like it I don't just ironically like I don't believe you by the way if anyone actually said I don't believe you people say that and I don't think they're I think they're absolutely lying it's the heart of the movie oh my god anyway but yeah apparently Jim Phelps is the only character that was in the original television series everyone else is made up our main character Ethan Hunt is played by of course Tom Cruise this also is his first time co-producing a movie, and uh, he also did Jerry Maguire the same year as this and got an Oscar nomination for it, which is fun. But he apparently pushed Paramount to do this movie because he was such a big fan of the show, and he really was like a real workhorse for it. He got them to up the budget because he wanted them to make like a big showy action masterpiece, and he even deferred his own $20 million fee so they could add more to the actual budget and he just took a percentage of the box office i'm sure i'm sure that really hurt him well no but i think he was smart in doing that because he's like let's put the 20 million in the movie and then whatever we make from it i'll get a kickback from it so he had confidence in it oh yeah and he also from the beginning was doing a lot of his own stunts just to cut costs and stuff and then I think by the time we get to nowadays, he's just doing it for kicks. Like, I want to fly in an airplane, but not in an airplane, on an airplane. I can do it. I'm Tom Cruise. Oh, I My Scientology god will protect me. <laughs> I, I think it's an ego thing at this point. Like, I could do something better each time. I can go crazier and crazier. I can hang off a building. I can hold on to a plane while it takes off. I can fall from space. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, John Voigt is on this airplane. He gets given a tape that he has to play in a old-ass TV on an airplane. Oh, yes. This movie is very 90s in its technology, which is hilarious. Like, they have fucking AOL in this movie, basically. I mean, they don't say it's AOL, but it looks like fucking dial-up AOL, and it made me laugh. AOL, tape discs, floppy disks. Mm -hmm. Does anyone remember what a floppy disk is? You see, kids, it's not actually floppy. It just looks like a big square. It's fucking huge. Uh, Good times, good times. But then the tape blows up after telling him the information he needs. Yes, your mission if you choose to accept it, blah, blah, blah. Not from this movie. Um, because that line's never uttered in this movie. That line- Is it not? No. Oh, they put it in the other movies. Yes, they do. But we cut to the team. Yeah, we don't have to talk about their names because, spoiler alert, they fucking die relatively quickly. However, Emilio Estevez is here. He is. <laughs> Uncredited. Uh, insane to me, but yes. Well, I assume that, like, well, because he and Tom Cruise are friends for sure. Because Tom Cruise, I remember when we talked about Young Guns, we I don't know if we mentioned on the show, but Tom Cruise was, like, around on the set and, like, I think did, like, a quick cameo where, like, you couldn't even see him. He just wanted to, like, I think he just was, like, hanging out with the Brat Pack at that time and, you know. Because they did Outsiders and stuff, and they they were all buds. So I think Emilio signed on to do the movie just because, like, he wanted to, A, probably help Tom Cruise out, and B, I I think kind of add to the mystique of, like, oh, well, it's Emilio Estevez. He's, like, a real fucking star. Like, he's going to be in this movie and be, like, a real character. And then, twist, he dies 
relatively quickly and kind of brutally also, which I wasn't expecting. But yeah, they're going on this mission. Ethan Hunt and his team, led by John Voight. Uh, we got Emilio Estevez. We got two other chicks. We got another chick, too, that's very hot and young and supposedly John Voight's wife, yep. even though he's significantly older than her and clearly has a little crushy crush hot feelings towards Ethan Hunt. One of my problems with this this montage of getting ready for this is everybody's really cheery. They're supposed to be getting ready to go on a mission to secure a list of names that would expose like all of America's secret agents around the world. Well, I think they're all pretty used to this kind of stuff by this point. They're uh, pretty seasoned. I know, but Tom Cruise is like, ha ha, yeah, this is great, yeah. And like, it's fine. We're friends. We're going to be friends forever and definitely not die together. Yeah, it's fun. We're talking about exploding bubble gum, you know. Oh, yeah. We go to this fancy party where Emilio gets to sit on an elevator as he hacks it in the party. And Tom Cruise gets... Very like uh, Riley from National Treasure. Yes, he is very like Riley from (laughs) National Treasure. Just kind of sitting there cracking jokes and like hacking the planet. (laughs) Exactly. Well, Tom Cruise gets to wear his second mask of the movie. Yes. Oh, we also get POV shots throughout this movie. Oh, yeah, that's another kind of Brian De Palma staple. That was in Snake Eyes as well. These little POV shots from Tom Cruise's perspective. I was like thinking like, why are we, are we doing this to hide that Tom Cruise is in disguise? But I'm like, well, no, not necessarily because at one point he gets kidnapped. Exactly. And they didn't do that. But they definitely hide his face when he has a mask on to have the big reveal like, oh, he doesn't look exactly like Tom Cruise. He looks like a little bit of another guy. But also, clearly Tom Cruise, because we don't want to confuse the audience too much. Tom Cruise in old man makeup. Right. <laughs> but then in the, in the preceding movies, they don't really they don't really have that problem because they kind of just... Make it the actor he's yeah, portraying. They just, yeah, they just fix it that way, which is better and like more interesting because there are times in the preceding movies where you don't know who's who and like, is that the real Ethan or is it... Somebody yells. Is it Duggery Scott? Oh, God. We're not talking about Duggery. It's DeGray, by the way. Oh, well, DeGray, Duggery. Degrassi. <laughs> it's all Spinner's fault. No! <laughs> uh, anyway. Anyway, so we do this whole thing. We find where the list is. Emilio Estevez is on the elevator. He loses control of the elevator, and he gets fucking impaled on the top of the elevator. Yeah, they show, like, they don't show his face, like, exploding or anything, but they show basically his face going into, like, these spikes or whatever on the elevator. Yeah. They don't show blood or anything, but I'm like, oh, shit. (laughs) And then, yeah, somehow they fuck up, and the list gets taken. Voight realizes that there's, like, a setup happening, so he's like, abort mission, abort mission. Everyone get the hell out of there. And then Tom Cruise is like, no, I'm getting that list. And then he goes off. But then while he's going off trying to find the list, everybody fucking dies. Everyone gets fucking murdered. John Voight gets shot. Uh-oh. Yeah, all the girls fucking die. Obviously, Jack's already dead. Everybody dies. Except Ethan Hunt. Right, exactly. And then he calls into headquarters and it's like, my whole fucking team is dead. And the bad guys have the list of all these American fucking spies. Like, what the fuck? What do we do? Then he he gets called to a meeting. So he goes to a meeting with this Fed guy named Kitridge. 
and it's fucking Dutch Angle City, baby. It's Dutch Angle and close-ups. It's Dutchy time. Yeah, apparently there's a there's a mole in the CIA, and in order to try to suss out the mole, they set this whole fake mission up, and Ethan's the only one that survives, so he must be the mole, right? But then in my mind, I'm like, okay, if he was the mole, and all his team is dead, wouldn't he feel that that's suspicious and it would be dangerous to just be like, oh, my whole team is dead, but I live, so it's fine. Like, I don't think he would call a meeting with his superior and be like, yeah, no, I get it. It's totally strange that I'm the only one that lived, but like, it's fine, right? I'm not the mole. It doesn't make any sense to me. But then he uses the explodey bubble gum to get out of there and escape. Uh, during this whole interaction where he's thought to be the mole, there's a mention of the word job. Which, Job. Well, at first it's Job, and then he figures out they meant Job. Um, so he starts, as Frankie said, AOL messaging. Like random. This confused me, too. I'm like, what is he trying to do right now? He's just sending random emails to people being like, I am Job. Please give me the list. Like, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me. But eventually he AOL messages his way into finding some bad guy named Max who's been looking for the list. Yes. And then he gets a meeting with this person. And then he's like, hooray, hurrah. Okay, finally, I can sleep and have a nightmare about my mentor, John Voight, all bloody and screaming my name. And then he wakes up to John Voight's wife, Claire, just there at the at the safe house. And he's like, what the fuck? Where were you these past fucking four hours? Like, where where were you this whole time? And she doesn't really give a straight answer to that. She's just like... I don't know. <laughs> Shit got real and I ran away and now I'm here. Hi. <laughs> He's like, I watched you blow up. Which at this point for me, I'm like, okay, I knew already that John Voight's the bad guy because A, I'm research and B, it's John Voight. So it's like, okay, John Voight is definitely bad guy. Really the question for me going forward was, is wife also bad guy? Because mind you, in the very beginning of the movie, they very subtly sort of imply that Tom Cruise and this Claire lady have like a little thing for each other. Apparently there was supposed to be even more of an indication. There was supposed to be like an opening scene sort of establishing a love triangle between the three of them, but they just cut it because it didn't fit or whatever. But they still kind of put in a little thing that there's a love triangle, whatever. And then it slowly kind of progresses throughout the movie. Like, this Claire lady, even though her husband is dead, is like getting very handsy with Ethan and like giving him lovelorn kisses on the cheek and then like almost catching his lips. It's like, all right, you're not really being subtle, sweetheart. And then it, it, it gets more confusing later on. But I genuinely was like questioning whether or not she was involved, which I guess is a point in the movie's favor for like the mystery aspect of Indeed. it. So finally he gets his meeting with Max Who's like, played by Vanessa Redgrave, by the way. Oscar-winning queen. Yes, and Max wants the real knock list, so Ethan has to put together a team to go break into Langley, Virginia and steal the actual knock list. Yes, and then we get Ving Rhames and Jean Renault as Luther and Krieger, respectively. Ving Rhames is a, a pretty decent staple throughout this franchise, I know that much. Uh, he's not a normal hacker guy because he's a big black guy that looks like he could beat your ass with his pinky. 
And then we got Jean Renault, obviously, who played Leon the Professional two years before this. And from the beginning, you can tell that that guy is a skeevy character. I think it's just who he is. Like, Leon's an assassin. He plays a French yeah, secret agent in Godzilla. Yeah, but Leon has a heart of gold. Leon has a houseplant and protects little child Natalie Portman. He, he does. So, yes, they break into Langley. <laughs> they drug a guy. Make him puke his brains out. This is obviously where we get the like iconic Ethan Hunt kind of flying into a room on a string with the theme playing over it. And it's very, very cool and uh, slick. What I do find interesting, though, so they're trying to get this list, right? Or try to make a copy of this list that's in CIA headquarters. And it's locked in this room that is... Like, they have a weight control of, like, to determine if anyone unauthorized is in there. They have voice scan, retinal scan. They have temperature control. So, like, if your temperature goes up more than a degree, everything goes to shit and the alarms go off. And I'm like, okay, this sounds really cool, but just, like, practicality-wise and just human error-wise, it seems rife for problems. Like, what if you're sick? What if you're like in the midst of a cold or a flu and you go in there and your temperature is off or you're you, you snotting everywhere? It's voice controlled too, so you can only like go up to a certain decibel. I will say though, despite that aspect of it that sounds like kinda silly, this is probably the most suspenseful part of the whole movie. Because there's one point where they just have no sound at all because as we mentioned the room is like volume controlled so it's just ethan hunt like slowly being lowered down into this room with absolutely no noise and there's one point where of course jean renault because he sees a rat freaks the fuck out and almost drops ethan on the floor and it's like an iconic scene in the movie for sure but it definitely is despite the fact that everybody knows that scene it is super intense um, intense and suspenseful yeah and um, there's one point where Ethan is sweating and it's the, 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 the beads of sweat are like slowly going down his glasses and he has to catch his own sweat. It's like, <laughs> This scene alone is probably why this became a franchise. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, sure. It, it's arguably prob- If you had like the 100 greatest scenes of all time, this would be on that list. Sure, yeah. I'm not saying where on the list, but be on that list somewhere. I feel like that's the thing that happens with a lot of action movies that turn into franchises. There's like one or two iconic moments, like John Wick, for example. In the first movie, there's like one or two really iconic fight scenes and moments. And then they just kind of ran with that and expanded on it. And now it's like a huge franchise that's like really popular and successful. Yeah. It's fun how many times it almost all goes wrong. John Renault drops a knife at one point. Oh my god, fucking idiot. I was so mad. I'm like, what are you doing? This also, that knife also leads to uh, the start of Tom Cruise trying to connect all these dots. Because they end up in London. And he grabs the Bible that was left. At the safe house by John Voight. And it has... Well, actually, he did, I don't think he realizes that it's John Voight's until he opens it up and sees it stamped with some hotel in Chicago, which earlier in the movie, John Voight said his assignment before the one in the beginning where everybody dies, he was in Chicago at this hotel. So that's when Ethan try, like starts to really put together that, like, oh, fuck. Yeah, 
that the knife everything's everything's connected yeah everybody's a suspect there's that one scene too with Jean Renault and him where they're kind of just playing cat and mouse almost and Ethan Hunt's doing like magic tricks with the list because Jean Renault's trying to be like oh I have the list now you have to do what I say and Ethan Hunt's like no you dumb fuck what do you think I'm stupid enough to let you have the list and then he starts doing like slide of hand tricks with the floppy disk and it's really funny and then at the end of it Jean Renault walks out all pissed off and um, Ethan Hunt grabs the floppy disk that he had and he threw to the floor and Ving Rhames is like oh he really did have the list and Tauku's like yeah he's like you're fucking crazy but i like that though because that does give ethan hunt like an actual character like he at least in this movie he at first comes off like really cocky but i do like that it's not just cocky for cockiness sake like he does have the skill and later on in the franchise you do kind of you peel back a little bit of layers with him well you're supposed to feel that ethan is a little too trusting yeah yeah, I guess. Because he trusts everybody around him. Like, he trusts John Renault, but then John Renault tries to betray him. He trusts John Voight. John Voight betrays him. He even trusts Claire, even though... Well, let's get to the point where John Voight is revealed to be alive. <laughs> yes, so there's a, a news report where Ethan's parents have been arrested for drug smuggling. <gasps> Ethan goes to a payphone and calls Kitridge and it's like, what the fuck? Like, really? And he's like, well, if you come in, I'll let your parents go and I'll expunge their records. And of course, he does that thing that happens in every like action or spy movie where like he can only stay on the phone for a certain amount of time. Otherwise, he's going to get traced. And he turns it off right before. Yeah. And then it's funny because while they're on the phone call, which is pretty like intense, this phone call, because I'm like, all right, you're only got to stay on for a certain amount of time. So like, what are you going to say? Da, da, da. As he's talking on the phone, this like big dude in a fucking overcoat comes in and a hat and just stands next to him with the next payphone, And I'm like, okay, this is kind of obvious that this is somebody. I'm guessing it's John Voight, but that's like not a very subtle way to reveal that somebody's there, I guess. But it still was like a cool reveal because literally the second Tom Cruise hangs up the phone, this big overcoat man just turns around slowly and it's like, duh, 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 and it's John Voight. Well, the other thing is like... <laughs> thinking his big mug in the glass partition. It's like, oh my God. The other thing is I think John Voight is a... A decently sized man. Yeah, right? I think he's like 6'1". Yeah. It's hard to hide that man. So it's it's not like he's 7'. But his, him and his giant beige overcoat take up like half the fucking screen while Tom Cruise is on the phone. It's like, oh, okay. Let's make it a little more obvious that this is somebody we should be aware of. <laughs> yes, but once Tom Cruise knows this is his John Voight, he really puts together all our picture here. He has figured out that John Voight's a bad guy. This is a point where I was kind of confused, too. I like how they revealed it. Like, I think it's clever. But at the same time, I was a little confused if... I didn't know if the movie was revealing to the audience that John Voight was the bad guy, but Tom Cruise didn't know it yet. Or or if Tom Cruise had caught on and was just fucking with John Voight. It wasn't clear to me at first. And then I rewatched the scene. And I was like, okay, okay, I think I get it now. He realizes that John Voight is the mole and that everything that happened was set up by him. He faked his death. He killed the guy in the elevator, Emilio Estevez. He killed all his team and he set this whole thing up. But then he says to Tom Cruise, don't tell Claire that I'm alive. 
you know, she can't handle that. Not until all this is over. You know, I'm trying to protect her or whatever. And I think because he likes Claire, Ethan, he like wants to believe it, but he's not sure. Because the way they do this, it's kind of weird is we have their dialogue over the scene. Right. And, and then Tom Cruise has these visions of like him connecting the dots that John Voight faked his death. Right. Because John Voight's trying to blame it all on Kitridge. Yes. And Ethan being like, oh, I'm the loyal guy is just telling him what he wants to hear, basically, to get John Voight where he wants him. Again, spy movies, we have to have subterfuge. Which I guess it worked, because I wasn't 100% sure if Tom Cruise was tr- like buying that it was Kitridge yes. or not. But he shows two different versions of the story. One where Claire blows up the car, killing one of their teammates. Right. And one where John Voight blows up the car, killing one of his teammates. Yeah. So he's like, what's true? What's not yeah. true? Either Claire is in the dark and doesn't know that John Voight's a bad guy, or she does, and that's why he kept her alive. But what's weird about it is, like, Ethan goes back to the safe house after this, knowing that John Voight is alive, and just has sex with her. I mean, you don't see it, but it's it's implied, and it's basically said at the end of the movie that they had sex. And it's like, okay, either John Voight's innocent, which, I mean, you know he's not, but, like, let's just say he is. Even if he's not, though, he is married to this girl. <laughs> And so you're either fucking your friend's wife who is innocent and doesn't realize that her husband's alive, which is kind of duplicitous in itself, or you're fucking like a national terrorist. So are you sure it's a good idea? Sure. Okay. (laughs) Fun. Sexy even. You know, I... It Wait. seemed to be like a pointless addition to the movie, which is kind of why I get now that they took out the scene in the beginning they were supposedly going to be with them having a love triangle because they said it didn't fit. The idea of Tom Cruise having some side quote unquote romance with John Voight's wife in the movie, it just seems like pointless. <laughs> yeah, but didn't really need to be there. It's just, it's just the whole thing. Especially since we didn't even get to see him bang. Nope. Like, we don't you give us just a purpose for it, at least. Sexy sex scene, at least. But no, not even that. What, you wanted uh, another fucking uh, take my breath away? No, certainly not. No. Take my breath away. Ew. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, we fast forward to the next day. There's a train. Oh, before we get to the train, because Bef- that's really the penultimate, like set piece of the movie this is where everything goes down indeed i figured we could uh seeing as how ethan hunt is quite the iconic character he is i figured we could bring back a a, a segment that we like to do here oh, on the show we yes the good old cast could have been Okay, so we have some interesting, yet um, also like obvious kind of cast codements for Ethan Hunt. Okay. Uh, first things first, before Cruz had signed on to the movie, uh, George Clooney was asked to be Ethan. Okay. Which is like, you know, makes sense. The good old Danny Ocean situation there. Yeah. But uh, he apparently turned it down because he was going to film a rom-com called One Fine Day, which I've never heard seen of. or heard of. So... 
I mean, he's, I would say bad choice, but like he's George Clooney. He's, he's doing just fine. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, I don't... maybe if he had done this, he wouldn't have ended up doing Ocean's Eleven, which was like one. So maybe that's for the best. Maybe, but I, I, for some reason, George Clooney doesn't strike me as spy. I don't think that's true at all. Uh, Danny well, Ocean's basically a spy. Uh, he, he, he's Just like, you know, a criminal spy. Yeah, I don't, he's not really a spy. I don't know. I just don't. He's s- very sneaky, sneaky. He, he's sneaky, sneaky. He's a criminal, but I don't, I don't know. He, uh, spies. What are spies but professional criminals I that guess. work for the government, I huh? Guess. You know what I mean? Come for me, government. I said what I said. Oh, dots that red dot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But we also have some standard kind of leading action men that were being considered for the role. We have Bruce Willis, who Um, was doing Fifth Element at the time. Better choice. Yeah. John Travolta, which I feel like we just talked about this when we talked about Pirates. How when we talked about the Jack Sparrow cast could have been that there's always like a standard few actors that get thrown into the mix for like everything we talk about with Cass Kudabins and one of them is John Travolta um, but he was actually doing Broken Arrow around this time which is a very silly action movie but like it's fun I like Broken Arrow it's it's insane it's so silly it's him and uh, Christian, Christian Slater. Slater yeah oh that's a weird but like it shouldn't work at all but it does work um, let's see we have uh, Mel Gibson. Hmm. Not a shock. We we don't need to talk about Mel Gibson, do we? Let's see. What else do we have? We have Ray Fiennes, who ended up doing The English Patient that year and was Oscar nominated. So that worked out better for him anyway. Although Ray Fiennes, I mean, he seems more like he would be a Mission Impossible villain than like a, yeah. a Mission Impossible Ethan Hunt. But eventually he ended up as M in 007. Oh, yeah. True. And uh, last but not least, we have... Nicholas Cage, who, weirdly <laughs> enough, ended up doing Snake Eyes two years later. So that also kind of worked out. Even though Snake Eyes, I feel like, is underrated. It is. But yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, the character of Ethan Hunt is really kind of just like a standard leading action guy. Yeah, for the most part. Like, I think Tom Cruise, whatever you think about him as a person or as an actor, I think he brings a certain charm to Ethan Hunt, which helps a lot. Uh, especially in like the later movies where he is seen to have like more interpersonal relationships with the people he does missions and stuff with like he has a real friendship with Ving Rhames he has relationships with female characters in the movie romantic relationships and Simon Pegg he's buddies with Simon Pegg in the movie so it's like he definitely brings a certain charm and charisma to the role oh yeah he's definitely has a lot of charisma it's just and he clearly cares about it deeply because he's put a lot of time and money and effort into it so i just think the issue with cruz as an actor in general is i feel like his ego is way too big well sure but you could say that about a lot of actors that's true but i feel like that's necessarily disqualifying no it's not disqualifying i just think it it comes out in his roles for me. And sure. I'm sure even, like, if we eventually, I don't know, if I probably won't do it for this show, maybe, but we'll, I'm sure I'll eventually fall down another Mission Impossible rabbit hole and watch the Christopher McClory, uh Mission Impossible films, which I know are, I would assume, a lot more stunt-heavy even than these, because, well, you know, these those are the ones where he, like, hangs off planes and mm-hmm. shit. And, you know, jumps off buildings and all that. So, I mean, yeah. I'm sure he kind of gets off on that, like, that he does his own stunts and 
is like you know this big bad motherfucker that rides motorcycles and he's too takes cool. off sunglasses and throws them into the ravines and then they blow up oh wait no that's mission impossible too sorry oh god uh, that was so corny fucking john woo man john woo, john baby. woo man i can't anyway doves 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 everywhere but anyway, back to this uh, penultimate train sequence, which is pretty batshit. Oh, yeah. So he gives Max the knock list, but has Ving Rhames, like, stop her from uploading the list. Yeah, he jams the signal with his little laptop from 1996 that oh, tells yeah. you jamming signal, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, all you have to do is type it in, signal jammed. Oh, signal my God, jammed. I can't. I love... That's the one thing about going back to like movies from like the 80s and 90s when they have computer stuff in them. It's always hilarious. Well, I think in any movie that relies heavily on technology, you're pretty much instantly dating yourself. Well, yeah, but they try to make it like futuristic. We're like, oh, this is what it's going to be like. I'm like, oh, God. It's so stupid. It's so dumb. Like, hackers, like. Jurassic Park. Yeah, like, Hackers is even better because it's like, oh, all the technological advancements we're going to make, we're going to fucking hack into shit in phone booths. Remember phone booths? Oh, yeah. Gonna... And we're going to ride roller skates everywhere and uh, wear mohawks and yeah. fluorescent clothes. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> there are going to be 10 high schoolers who can take down the national government. I love Hackers so much. Please listen to our review of Hackers. It's so... I, I love that movie so much. It's so ridiculous. But uh, anyway. Yeah, so Ving Rhames is hacking and blocking Max. While this is going on, Claire comes to the back of the car finds John Voight sitting there and is like, no one knows you're alive. You don't have to kill Ethan. It's all cool. We can just get away with the money and then Ethan pulls off the mask knowing, ha, you're in on it, bitch. Ah, da, da, da. Which, like, is just a testament to the movie, like I was saying before, of, like, there is a serious sort of grounded, gritty tone to the film that, like, when silly shit happens like this where literally... Tom Cruise looks like he's pulling off a rubber mask from like Party City off of his face and being like, aha! It's like, it's so silly. Haha, you're Mr. Bean. Oh, wait, sorry. But oh. because of like just the overall tone of the film, you really don't like, as much as you want to maybe cock your head back and laugh at how stupid it looks, like you don't because you're kind of just in the, the vibe of the movie. You're definitely into it. It's just, it's Which is definitely, I think, a testament to Brian De Palma also. Oh, yeah. Because that's just kind of his bag, I feel like. Because Snake Eyes as well, if you want to reference Snake Eyes again. Some of the shit that happens in Snake Eyes is so absurd and so convoluted. And also Nicolas Cage is a fucking lunatic, similarly to Tom Cruise. So it's like, you know, the crazy shit happens in that movie too. But you're just so knee deep in this gritty crime drama that you... Don't, it doesn't really register how fucking silly some of the shit is. Yeah, until you watch it later and you're like, wait a second. Yeah, until you watch it with like more of an analytical scope and you're like, oh, that's kind of stupid. <laughs> but John Voight shows up, the real John Voight. Da, da, da. And he's like, no one knows I really exist. And then Tom Cruise is like, ah, but they do. And he pulls the glasses out and he goes, ah, yes, he was recording the whole time. Say hi, Kit Ridge. And Kit Ridge is like, hi, John Voight. Nice to see you. And then he shoots his own wife, which begs the question, why'd you keep her alive? Uh, if you were just going to kill her? Uh, I don't know. 
Uh, like, were you jelly because she wanted Tom Cruise's dick and you just did it like crime of passion style? Or were you using her to try to potentially keep Tom Cruise like blinded by your pussy magic and then at the right time just well, like kill her well off. he said blinded by the pussy magic because he- oh yeah y- y- yes oh my god please say what he said i wanted to throw up so at first he goes ethan there's you know there's a thing about coveting a man's wife and i Ugh. knew she could distract you in all fairness Ethan, claire was never convinced her charms would work on you but i was supremely confident having tasted the goods literally my notes i was like hmm did tom cruise actually fuck claire question mark ew and then right a line right after that john Voigt quote i tasted the goods ew all caps like a hundred w's i was like oh my god john Voigt, stop it i like this is just practice for your character in anaconda i can't uh anaconda ew no <laughs> Luckily, I've seen that already, so he can't show that to me. I'm not watching that shit again. So we finally get John Voight's escaping. Yeah. Um, John Renault is on the helicopter trying yeah. to pick up John Voight. Tom Cruise climbs on the top of the train with his bare hands and like climbs after John Voight. And the only thing I can think of is this bit from Bob's Burgers <laughs> when the kids are on a train and, <laughs> and Louise tries to get on top of the train and like climb on the roof and she's like ah no hot hot i'm going back <laughs> it leads to tom cruise basically attaching the helicopter to the train so john Renault can't get away madness john void jumps on the helicopter mm-hmm. as you do as you do as the helicopter is in the tunnel now following the train secret tunnel not so secret tunnel yes there's a helicopter in tunnel <laughs> There's a random conductor who's like watching this all Accelerate! happen. <laughs> Outrun the goddamn helicopter. Oh my god. Eventually Ethan blows up the helicopter with the bubble gum from the beginning. Ah we love a callback. John Renault dies, the helicopter crashes, killing John Voigt, mm. and the train and the helicopter both stop just right before the helicopter blade kills Ethan. Of course. My favorite part of that whole thing is at the end of the movie when we're like wrapping everything up, there's footage of a news report saying like, ah, a helicopter, quote, lost altitude and veered into a tunnel. Oh, that's so strange. And it's like, really, dude? Okay, that seems plausible. Yeah, a a helicopter lost altitude and had enough bearings to steer itself into a tiny little tunnel. (laughs) To get hit by a train. Like, let's... Okay. Sure. Sure, movie. Whatever you say. It tells you you have to question the news all the time. Yes, fake news. But again, like, such a stupid fucking thing that happened. A helicopter chasing a train. And the news being like, whoops daisy It was a malfunction. Whoops. And then that's... <laughs> it's... It's just completely treated straight. Like, we were playing this whole thing straight as an arrow. Okay. It's training exercise. Sure. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. For sure. Wrap up. Max decides to work with the government. Oh, uh, yes. Because she was going to put the list out for the whole world to see and expose all these spies. But, of course, Kitridge and the good guys stopped them. And then yes. they're like, we don't have to take you to jail. You can just, you know, give us information and not go to jail. But she's like, okay, sure. Sure. And uh, then uh, Ving, Ving Rhames goes back into 
the spy biz. Yes. He, he's allowed back in. Exactly, because he was, we didn't bring it up, but he was also disavowed. Yes, he was excommunicado, as John Wick would say. Exactly. So he's brought back into the fold. Even's like, oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to go, you know, chill out. But they bring him back in. Yeah. And hence a bajillion sequels to come. So, <laughs> And that's Mission impossible oh my god yes so frankie what would you think of the first mission impossible i had fun with it like i said it's so different from what mission impossible is now i feel like it's wild but i do like despite the fact that i was confused a couple times and had to like you know rewind things perhaps and give wiki a little look just to make sure i was on the same planet i did enjoy the intrigue of it all the mystery of it all again silly things happen like many action movies but because of the brian de palma-esque tone that was set i kind of just fell into it and you know enjoyed the ride so to speak so i'll say it's one of my faves so far of the franchise i gave it a three and a half out of five stars yeah, I'm pretty much on the same page. This was the one I remembered the most. I actually could pull most of this one out. I would say, though, so far, like, the franchise isn't, like, the most amazing thing to me. Like, it's not, you know, it's good. There are good things and bad things about it, which is why I would probably put it in the three and a half category, particularly this one, just because, like, yeah, it doesn't, like, blow my stack or anything, but it's it's fun. I think because it's so convoluted at times, it does hurt the movie on occasions. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a movie you really need to go rewatch anytime soon. Like, no. it's not one of those movies that I feel like, oh, yeah, I need to rewatch this to get everything. Like, it doesn't. Yeah, I it's think, not. I think you don't need to do that. You certainly don't need to do a back to back to back to back viewing of the first four Mission Impossible movies. Nope. Instead of, you know. Sleeping. Sleeping. <laughs> Getting, you know, mental health and nourishment from sleep, good, hearty rest. It's not worth it. I mean, it was fun because I mean, I mean, that second one, though, it was quite a trip down crazy town lane. And then three was really good. Three was on level with this one, I would say. And then four was okay. Yeah. And then who knows what's to come. I won't know for a while because I need to catch up on some Z's yes. <laughs> before I dive into that, exactly. I think. Exactly. I also gave Mission Impossible three and a half. Again, it's it's fine. It's a, it's a decent action movie. It's fun. It, I mean, it's good enough that it made me want to jump down that rabbit hole. And I do want to continue with it to the point where I do want to finish the franchise and see like how it ends. I hope that they end it gracefully. Nope. Oh, how do you know? You haven't even seen anything past the fourth one. I'm because, at least being hopeful. Because they never end these things gracefully. But uh, there's one where Tom Cruise breaks his ankle in it, and there's one where he's on a plane, on the side of a plane, hanging off. Uh, eventually he'll... Like fucking William Shatner in that Twilight Zone episode where he's like, there's something on the wing. It's Tom Cruise. And then eventually he's just going to jump from a space shuttle. And... I mean, that's fine. Hey, listen, we let fucking Fast and the Furious get away with it, goddammit. At least Mission Impossible is going to go out somewhat gracefully i mean did we need a two-parter ending probably not we could have ended it at the last like just one last one well that's all harry potter's fault 
I mean, kind of, yeah, but everyone's doing it now. It's the hip, not new thing. It will never die. Apparently, I read somewhere that Dune is supposed to be a three-parter now, not a two-parter. And I'm just like, why? Let's stop doing this. <laughs> Let's stop it. Wicked's going to be two parts. The Fast and the Furious finale is going to be three parts. Like, stop it. Just stop it. <sighs> stop the madness. <laughs> oh, boy. But at the same time, I am excited to continue with the franchise, weirdly enough. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I'll continue with you. After some sleep. Yes. Although it won't be until later because I had coffee to wake up this morning so we could record this. I will never sleep again, maybe. Who knows? What is rest? What is sleep? <laughs> Sandman, bring me a dream. Who is the Sandman? <laughs> Who is this boy? And what is his deal? Well, he's in Spider-Man 3. And, uh, no! No. Anyway, next week, there's going to be another pretty big deal of a movie being released. Actually, there's two movies being released. But which movie will we be commemorating with a review? I don't know. Do you guys know? Of course you know. You don't run this shit. We do. God damn it. We have a schedule. Do you have a sch our schedule? No. No? Well, then fine. Well, um, yeah, so there's going to be a pretty uh, majorly anticipated movie being released next week, so we're going to do something fun for that. But until then, this has been Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. I'm Scott Eisenberg. I'm sleepy. <laughs> Indeed. But actually not. Also not because coffee. Um, She's loopy, though. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm perfectly sane. You sure about that? You sure about that? You sure about that? Y you know who needs to say that perfectly sane, Shut right? the fuck up. <laughs> um, make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at ShootTheFlick and check out all of our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our topical, either very pink or very dark-toned movie adventure. And then tell us what you think of the new Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. Maybe we'll see it. Or maybe I'll fall asleep in it. I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out soon enough. Okay, bye. <laughs> do, 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 do.